I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Looking for the latest on the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies? Yeah. We've got you covered. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5, the Sports Zone. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So Quinn Snyder didn't make it a full season without getting back on the bench. Now the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks to help break it down, Brad Rowland, part of the Locked On Network, host of Locked On Hawks, kind enough to join us. Brad, how are you? Hey, Brad. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, again, uh, things went south. There's a job opening in Atlanta. How surprised are you that not only was it Quinn Snyder, but Quinn Snyder takes over before the season comes to an end. Yeah, I'm, I'm more surprised about the timing than him actually being a, a high-profile a high candidate and eventually the hire, just because I think the Hawks would have been silly not to call Quinn Snyder at some point in the coming you know weeks, months, etc., but because it's basically unprecedented for a coach to come outside the organization this late into the season for a team that's still trying to win now, it uh, definitely was a surprise, the, uh, the timing of it all. How difficult a situation is Atlanta in right now? How pressed are they with their roster situation and Trey Young and everything that's going on? How pressed are they to make the postseason? And not only make the postseason, but make something out of the postseason this year? I think there is some pressure for sure, and a lot of it's internal pressure. I think this is a, this is an ownership group that's been uh, very you know hands-on, and they've, they've pushed certain things, and they, they want to win now, and the Hawks made a big, splashy trade uh, over the summer to get DeJounte Murray, and uh, at least as of right now, that has not benefited them with regard to their win-loss record. It's basically the same as it was a year ago, and I think they were hoping for and planning for better than that. I think, honestly, in a weird way, bringing in Snyder almost takes some heat off of them right now because you could say, look, this is going to be our guy for the long term, and uh, maybe this is just not the entire focus, but on the flip side of that, you've now brought in an established head coach, and clearly all the messaging is they still want to win now, and that's part of why they wanted him to come in so early. So there is definitely some pressure. I think to be realistic is important and not like be uh, trying to plan a parade anytime soon, but certainly getting, uh, getting into the plan, getting hopefully out of the plan if you were the Hawks, that'd be a pretty decent um, result after this season and sort of the way it's gone so far. How coachable is Trey Young? It's a great question. I think that, uh, you know, there are some questions about that, generally speaking. Uh, he's not had the best record of uh, being coachable in his, two, uh, in his two coaches so far. Granted, it was kind of one extended regime. Uh, Nate McMillan came as interim. He seemed to take better to Nate than he did to the previous coach. And 
I do think that Trey Young has gotten probably too much heat for what transpired and, and having Nate McMillan not be there anymore. Certainly he is part of it, but I don't think that he was going in, you know, demanding for a new head coach or that he was uh, the, sort of the only problem with the Hawks. But anytime you are the best player, and I think this, just to be realistic in the NBA, if you are clearly the best player on your team, you're always going to get a lot of attention, both positively and negatively. And if back-to-back coaches get fired during the season, as the Hawks have done the last two and a half, three years, um, he's going to get a little bit of that as well. And he's definitely a unique guy. He has a lot of confidence in himself. And I think that this will be the first time in his career where he's going to be coached by someone who I think uh, kind of commands a different level of attention and respect and the investment from the organization. I think the Hawks made it very clear in hiring Snyder and paying him a boatload of money that he's going to be there no matter what, and they're not going to be able to have him be run over by Troy Young or anybody else. So maybe that dynamics will be a little bit different this time around. I feel like this is tough timing in the East because that East is so difficult right now. They've got two of the best teams, I think, in the NBA that sit at the top two, and that's a really um, competitive conference right now. So with the Quinn Snyder hire, with potentially Trey Young settling down a little bit, and everybody coming together, DeJounte having a little bit more time, how capable is this team in the East? Yeah, I think that, number one, this, this roster, I think, is better than the, than the results have been so far. And I wouldn't put all of that on Nate McMillan, but certainly I don't think he was the best man for the job. I don't think that he was making a huge positive difference either. And I think if you kind of just adjust for what this team should be in the pecking order, they should be a little bit higher. At the same time, this team is not as good objectively as teams like Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia. I think that I hope that they know that at this point and you know, maybe down the line that they have some more internal growth. They're still pretty young across the roster, which definitely helps for the future. But, you know, presently, I think it's important to have real, um, I would say, manageable expectations and not to suddenly think that they're going to be able to beat Boston in a series or people walking in a series. You know, the middle of the East is more open. I think the teams like, you know, Miami and New York, and those teams are certainly in the same realm as, as Atlanta. And, and they could, probably, I think, probably reasonably believe that they're as good or maybe even better if they have um, sort of everything together than those teams. It's just that top tier is really hard to crack, especially right now, given that we've seen 60 games of this Hawks team and they've basically been 500 so far. Quinn Snyder was on that staff uh, several years ago. Was that something that did the city appeal to him? What was it about the Hawks, in your opinion, that attracted him to that job? Because let's be honest, there were probably going to be a lot of suitors at the end of the season for Quinn Snyder services. Yeah, and that's part of why uh, I was a little surprised on his end that he took the job now. Not not that it wasn't a good offer. They're paying him a lot of money, and I think that you know part of it is that the Hawks do have a pretty appealing roster. Not every team has a superstar in place. No matter what you think about Troy Young, he does he does have that cachet of being a star level player, and they have pretty good depth on their roster. And it's a big city. You know, Quinn hasn't been here before, like you said. I think I think he liked it. I, I, I was hesitate to ascribe too much to that. He was only here for a year. You know, yeah. eight years ago. I can't imagine that was the entire reason why he wanted to come back. But um, he's close with Kyle Korver who is the Hawks number two in the front office. And, uh, you know, they all admitted that Kyle was the one that reached out and made the first call in the last couple of weeks to Quinn Snyder. I'm sure that sort of was at least part of this. But I think it was just a combination of a lot of different things. The Hawks were the only opening. And if you wanted to be maybe cynical, you could say, look, maybe the Hawks thought when they moved off McMillan that maybe part of that was to try to get Quinn Snyder now and kind of move quickly and beat the market on him. Um, and on Quinn Snyder, on Quinn's side, I should say, he maybe could have waited and potentially got a, uh, gotten a more appealing job, but the Hawks made it very easy on him. They definitely kind of offered him all of what he could have wanted, a long-term deal for a lot of money. He's going to have some front office say, what I understand. So uh, it is a pretty appealing package. I know it, um, it's definitely a little bit weird that he took 
took the year off and then didn't actually finish the year off, as I'm sure you guys have talked about a lot locally out there in Utah. But uh, it's definitely uh, a situation where the Hawks kind of had the full-court press on Snyder, and that was part of the reason why he's coming. You know, Brad, covering these teams and getting close to the players and getting to know some of the assistants and things, you get a feel and a read for their expression and some of their emotions. I'm curious, what read did you get from these athletes or what read have you gotten through interviews or anything in particular on their level of excitement or dismay or discouragement or whatever it is on the Quinn Snyder hire? How excited or not excited are they or what read did you get from them? Yeah, it, it seems like everybody is in a good place with it. You know, clearly you always have to have your guard up because what a coach has announced there's always going to be a positive sheen. And the Hawks just won two games in a row with an interim coach before that. I'm sure that improves the mood around the team, generally speaking. So I never want to ascribe too much to it. But they seem to be pretty happy. Trey Young was upbeat about it. DeJounte Murray was upbeat about it. They're all saying the right things. And I think that a part of the appeal of Snyder is that he does come with a pretty proven track record. You know, if you're, if you're the Hawks front office, you can go to your team right now in your, in your roster and say, look, this is by far the best coach available, the most accomplished coach available. We went out and got that guy for you guys to make this team better and make this team a contender sooner rather than later. Um, I think that's a pretty good pitch to send, especially with a guy like Trey Young, where Quinn played point guard at the college level and had a grip relationship with Donovan Mitchell by all accounts. Uh, Donovan reportedly has said some nice things to Trey about Clint Snyder in the last couple of days, so I'm sure that all appeals to them, too. Um, I always have my guard up for sure this, at, at this early stage, and if they lose some games here, maybe that will change. But I think that, uh, generally speaking, the mood is pretty good around here now. Back in 2015, the Celtics got a first-round pick um, for Doc Rivers from the Clippers. Uh, were you surprised that there was no compensation with uh, Quinn Snyder still under uh, contract? A little bit. I, I, as soon as that started getting out, I was poking around to uh, some people that you know I know in Salt Lake City and kind of just saying, look, what's the, what's the mood? on whether the Jazz are going to try to hold this up and maybe get some competition. Because if you're the Jazz, you could have done that. You would have been well within your rights to do that. It's a little bit different in that he wasn't actively coaching. Mm. Obviously, if it had been a little bit different situation, I think the Jazz probably would have pushed harder if he was you know, still the guy, obviously, going into the summer or something like that. But because he had been away for a few months, maybe it's one of those goodwill gestures. I'm not sure if it would have been a first-round pick. Immediately, I was thinking maybe a second round or something like that, something to give Utah a reason to say yes. But I think if you're the Jazz, also you could – um, he was going to be on a contract in a couple of months anyway. Um, maybe we'll just kind of let this go. But it was definitely uh, interesting because I was expecting at least more consternation. And on a call I made, it was like, no, they're just going to let him go, I think. So it was pretty uh, cut and dry, and I'm not sure why they did why, why they did that on the Utah side. If I'm going to hold him up a little bit more because the Hawks were not going to say no based on compensation for him, I don't think, at this point in time. But uh, in the end, it was a more amicable, amicable uh, release, I guess. So, Brad, through this whole process where Atlanta's firing a coach and hiring a coach and and going through this, it felt like Trey Young was just unsettled in listening to different conversations with him and and kind of going through this whole process. It felt like he's unsettled. Was that all about this coach, or is Trey Young unsettled about other things? I think it really has to do with the team not performing um, above all else, and part of that is maybe not being thrilled with the coaching staff, and I think – um, you know, and generally speaking, as you guys probably know, the coaching staff is the first sort of uh, line of defense that takes the blame when things don't go well in the NBA. That's just kind of how it always is, especially when you already have a star in place. Um, but I, I think Trey, for all of his faults, and he has some faults for sure, he's not the most natural leader in the world. He's definitely um, a guy who kind of marches to his own beat in a lot of ways. He does want to win. I think the Hawks 
going into multiple seasons now, two years in a row, where they had expectations that were very high and then falling short of those, it kind of just creates this atmosphere, not only not only for Trey, but for a lot of guys, where there's just not a lot of fun being had. And I think McMillan, uh, I think for, by all accounts, the voice kind of went silent for McMillan. Like, no one wanted to listen to him anymore. And that's kind of a natural progression in the NBA. But I think, again, long story short, I would put it all, not, not all, but most of it, on the team just not winning games and maybe internally players thinking that there was a better way to do things and that not being the way that was going and that kind of breeds that resentment and, and some frustration. Well, we certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy Quinn. He's uh, he's a uh, he's an interesting player or interesting coach to cover for sure. There's uh, there's good days and then there's rather interesting days. So <laughs> it should be a, it should be a fun roller coaster for you guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm already taking notes from guys like Tony Jones and David Locke, who I who I know well. So hopefully they'll have some pointers for me on how to cover Quinn in the future. But I appreciate you guys having me. You got it, Brad Rowland joining us, uh, part of the Locked On Networks, Locked On Hawks, uh, with Sportsline as well, all, a lot of different services. So big, big thanks to Brad for joining us right here on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Um, you know, I think Quinn did some remarkable things here in Utah. And I also think it's okay to acknowledge that and talk about how great Quinn was and then also say it was probably in the Jazz' best interest and Quinn's best interest. I think there comes a certain point in a coach's career or a coach's run at a certain team where I don't want to say the message gets old, but it's time for a new message. And I think the Jazz are going to be better off long-term, and I think Quinn Snyder is going to be better off long-term. I think he will. And – it's always interesting to me when coaches jump back into the world when you've got disgruntled players on a roster. Yeah. And I don't know. That's why I asked the question about Trey Young. What is it that's discouraging him? And if it's wins and losses, if it's just he wants to win more, Quinn Snyder isn't the answer to winning more for Trey Young. I think Trey's got a lot of great capabilities, and I think he's an amazing basketball player. But – Trey is only can only go as far as the remainder of his team can really help him go. Mm. And I don't think Quinn comes in and changes a ton. Now, he may have a different design for DeJounte Murray and usage for DeJounte Murray. He may have a better understanding of what he wants to do with Collins or how he uses Trey Young. He might. And he might be able to affect it by one or two wins, but it's not like Quinn comes in and gets this Atlanta team to a position where they can compete with Milwaukee, Boston. You know, I, I could probably throw Philadelphia in there. Um, I might even throw Cleveland in there with his former athlete in Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I don't think that Atlanta becomes a contender with him. Now, as Brad just mentioned, the expectations for Quinn to make them an instant contender – is probably not there, but I'm talking about keeping Trey Young happy yes. so that he doesn't start barking and complaining and turn on me, and I'm a one-year project where I was with the Jazz forever, I've built a good name, and now I'm here with a group of guys that backbite and cry in front of media and make excuses as to why they're not eligible for a game or eligible for a practice. Or I would be paying close attention to how a roster handled the last coach that was doing okay with the wins and losses. And it just doesn't feel like this Hawks roster is ready to 
slide into a new coach and be completely accepting with maybe making it to the eighth seed, maybe making it to the seventh seed. I don't. Maybe they pass Brooklyn. I could see Brooklyn falling and Atlanta maybe passing Brooklyn, maybe catching up with New York, getting into that five or six spot. But it's going to be a quick exit against Philly or Boston. Yep. And how does Trey handle that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I. I today would be really difficult to be coaching in the NBA. Oh yeah. Because it was exactly what Brad just talked about. You are the first blame. You are the first thing to be blamed. And it doesn't matter what your credentials are. Look how often Doc Rivers, who had a championship, jumps around a team, and he's the first finger that everybody points. It's Doc. He's old school. He doesn't know how to handle these these new athletes. Yeah, sure, he's got a championship, but this this is not the guy anymore. And Doc's like, I'm doing what I've always done. <laughs> so we brought in a couple of we brought in a couple of guys with opinions, and all of a sudden, I can't coach. All right, all right, fine. I suddenly stink at this job. It's, yes, and that's I don't, what happened. And I just don't buy that. So no. I'm hoping that Quinn Snyder isn't getting a rotten group because I do like him and I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him be successful. Yeah. All right. Straight ahead. We will give away another pair of jazz tickets. We will also spin the wheel, a little sports roulette coming up next. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL sports zone. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on rival with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keering. All of this hinges on a meteorites deal. It has to be comparable to the Big 12. And if it's not, you know Oregon and Washington are probably out the door. But why is everybody else? Why is every other conference going expand? And why did the Pac-12 go, nope, we're not we're not doing anything? Why did they not see the writing on the wall? Why did why did everyone else get this? Why did everyone else understand the assignment and and the Pac-12 didn't? Seems pretty clear. It's their arrogance and their they're not reading the room and not seeing what's really going on. And what's really going on, TV, plain and simple, has been driving this ship and it will continue to drive this ship. And if you don't answer to it and you don't understand it, you're toast. It's Unrivaled. Afternoons from 3 to 6. Presented by G2G Bars. Perfect for anyone who needs a quick, tasty, and nutritious boost. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. 
The wheel is loaded, and it's time to talk some sports. This is Sports Roulette with Hanson Scotting, presented by You First Credit Union on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Remedical, Utah's only physician-owned and operated wellness clinic, offering ED treatment. It's discreet, non-invasive, and customized to your needs. Remedical. Visit them right now at remedical.com. All right, Hans and Scotty on a Tuesday. Coming up here in a bit, we're going to spin the wheel. A little sports roulette. Before we do that, though, Hans, let's give away some tickets. Our final pair of tickets today on our edition of Team 49 Tuesday. Call number 12 right now, 801-575-ZONE. That's 801-575-ZONE, and you'll win a pair of tickets. See the Jazz take on the Boston Celtics coming up on March 18th at Vivint Arena. Now, if you're not calling number 12, keep listening to Unrivaled. They'll give away a pair of tickets uh, in the uh, 4 o'clock hour, the 5 o'clock hour, and the 6 o'clock hour as well. Do it now. No, 3, 4, and 5 o'clock hour. Sorry, my bad. Call, call, call. Get your tickets. Getting my time zones mixed up. All right. Hands, let's spin that wheel. Should one through five be a consideration? So, Scotty, Bam Adebayo sat down and had a conversation on a podcast. And he was going back and forth about being snubbed as the defensive player of the year. And he happened to mention Rudy Gobert and Marcus Smart. So I thought Bam Adebayo's comments were pretty interesting. I want you to hear his take on why he thinks he should have been Defensive Player of the Year. You have said that you are the best defender in the NBA. Make your case. I guard one through five. It's not a lot of us. Me, Draymond, Giannis. Who else? Well, last year, what, Marcus Smart won. Year before that, Rudy won. Yeah, but Rudy can't. Anyways. You say Rudy, no? Nah. You were like, I should have won the Defensive Player of the Year the last two years. You said that. 100%. Uh, Why do you feel like you should have won over Rudy and Marcus? It has to translate. And I feel like Rudy in the playoffs didn't translate. And Marcus Smart guards went through four. You're like, I got them all. Exactly. That's the thing that I think I thought was different between me and them. Hmm. Uh, Interesting comments. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like him. And I've always liked Bam. And Bam, I went out and got a championship. And he was definitely a part of that daunting defense. And he is a great defender. And he can defend across the board. How much of a check mark should it be against a person that it didn't translate in the postseason and they don't have one through five capabilities? I do think it's something that needs to be considered. Um, here's the thing. Just because you can guard one through five doesn't mean that you can be an elite level Hall of Fame rim protector like Rudy Gobert is. Just because you can't switch on a point guard off a pick and roll doesn't mean that you don't alter the game in ways that no other defensive player has in, 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 in history, frankly, in some cases. So, like, I get it. He's right. I mean, yeah, Rudy doesn't guard one through five. But also, Bam can't defend the rim at the level in which Rudy Gobert can, where individual game plans are being altered by his, by what he's been able to do and, and his ability to protect the rim. 
I, I don't think that that's what the league has leaned on <clears throat> as much because if they did, I think that there was a time in LeBron's run when he really could defend one through five. Oh, yeah. And he was a special level defender, and he never won Defensive Player of the Year. No. In fact, I'm just going through, okay, so here's your DPOYs since 2010. Dwight Howard back-to-back. Tyson Chandler. Mark Gasol. Joakim Noah. So that's five centers right there. Kawhi Leonard, two years in a row. And he was a one through five. Yeah. Draymond Green, one through five. And then Rudy Gobert back to back. Giannis in 2020. Rudy Gobert 21. And then Marcus Smart last year. That's kind of your trend of defensive player of the years. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about Quinn Snyder in the last segment. And I think Quinn did... Rudy a lot of favors too by giving him a lot of Sports Center moments where they would funnel people into the lane. And now, granted, Rudy got dunked on a couple times, but for the most part, Rudy would win those battles. And it was a defensive philosophy of the Jazz to highlight the defensive capabilities of Rudy Gobert and his ability to defend the rim. Uh, you're not seeing that now in Minnesota. That's just not part of who they are and how they want to use Rudy Gobert. So you're not seeing those moments from Rudy. And I know he's dealt with some injuries as well, but. You're not seeing that from Rudy this year as you did the Quinn Snyder era when he was coaching the Utah Jazz because their focal point was let's funnel everything down to Rudy. And and to Bam's point, too, that, that did get uh, blown up a bit in the playoffs because teams kind of cracked the code and realized, okay, let's put Rudy in no man's land. Does he come out and guard the three or does he lay in the paint? And if he does guard, come out to guard the three, then you can drive right past him and finish at the rim. So, you know, that, that code got cracked a little bit with Rudy down the stretch and will continue to be so. But that doesn't mean you can't take away those three or four years where Rudy Gobert, I, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame player because of, his, of, of what he did to the game and how he changed the game in terms of his ability to defend. Yeah. I forgot how good of a defender Kawhi was with San Antonio. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Back-to-back defensive player of the years while he was with San Antonio, 2015 and 2016. And hasn't seen it since. I don't know if it was the way Pop demanded some defense. I don't know if it was his commitment with the team that was around him at the time to go out and that's what he was good at and that's what he could do. But we have not seen that level of commitment to the defensive side since from Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd, spin it. Do we really need less college football? Hans, do you feel like college football games are too long? No. Well, apparently, and I don't either, and apparently we're in the minority here because college football officials are looking this week in Indianapolis to consider three rule changes that will shorten the game times and reduce the number of plays during games for this upcoming season. Uh, it's a, uh, here's some rules that are under consideration. Number one, running the clock after a first down is awarded. You know how the clock stops momentarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they are looking at getting rid of that. Uh, except, however, in the last two minutes of either half, the first half or the second half. Uh, eliminating the option for teams to call consecutive timeouts. I don't hate that. Essentially, you can't... Uh, Freeze the kicker more than once. 
And then um, in, if there's a penalty at the end of a quarter, instead of an untimed down, uh, that penalty will be enforced at the beginning of the next uh, quarter. So let's say there's a uh, uh, defensive holding on the last play of the third quarter. Um, instead of an untimed down going into the at the end of the third quarter, they'll just assess it in the fourth quarter. Um, this seems like um, these don't seem like too overly dramatic rules, but they do believe that they will cut at least seven to eight minutes off of each game and cut off about eight plays, which seems more than I would expect based off those rules. Out of every game? They're saying on average? On average, yeah. Now, the big one's going to be running the clock after first down. Yeah. Um, If you keep the clock running after a first down. And that's the way the NFL does it. And I I have no beef with that. You want to do that? That's fine. There was some rules they thought, well, let's keep the clock running after an incomplete pass. And hopefully they get rid of it. They don't. No. No, I don't like that. ridiculously stupid. No, because that disallows the comebacks. Yes, exactly. The great drive getting comebacks, just using that as a a tactic in clock management. No, I don't want to see that happen. Yeah. Um, But it's uh, certainly something that they're, you know, obviously they don't have a two-minute warning in college, and so their thoughts were let's hold on to those two minutes where if – there is a first down. We will stop the clock at the end of, you know, if somebody does get a first down under two minutes as they reset the chains. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, these aren't dramatic rules. I think that's it's fine. It just – but I don't know if it's something that really needed to be addressed because I've never looked at a college football game and be like, oh, boy, these games are too long. This is silly. Yeah, but you know what would be nice, though, to have a – to get closer how the NFL is with, you know how, I mean, the NFL, you have your 11 o'clock game, you have your 2 o'clock game. And that 2 o'clock game, they, that 11 that 10, or eleven o'clock game usually is over, pretty close to when that 2 o'clock game is supposed to start. Yeah, Some of those games, point. they go, like, you'll be waiting for the Utah game or BYU game or whatever, and you have to go to ESPN3 or something. And it's yeah. like, there's got to be just something to where you get them pretty close to when one ends you know, to the other one's going to start, where you're not sitting there watching, I don't know, one team just blow out, I don't know, A&M, whatever, whoever it is, whatever big team that's blown out of somebody, and you're sitting there and there's like eight minutes left on the clock. I know, Lloyd, you're, you're, you're keenly aware of this because I know more often than not when we have all kinds of pre and post and play-by-play <laughs> yeah, stuff yep. going on in, you know, September, October, November, that you're you're keeping a close eye on all this stuff. And I know that... You know, I'll be in the middle of a Utah State game, and you'll text me. And you're like, oh, "We may have a problem if this game doesn't end here pretty soon." Like, mm-hmm. I get it. You're right, and and there probably needs to be something because there is a wide variety of length of games, and some games get over pretty quick, and some games just drag on yeah. and on and on and on. And uh, like Utah, Utah, they were pretty. They're out. Their games were probably really. I looked at their like times. Like Utah's games were right around three, pretty close to three hours. Like they stayed really close around there. But then you had BYU, which was anywhere from, well, three, maybe three minutes all the way to like 340. Hmm. Like some of them were just, I mean, there was like a large discrepancy in the yeah. times of the games. Like they just somehow need to, they need to, whatever the NFL is doing that where they, and they time out pretty close unless there's an overtime. 
those games are timing out pretty well, pretty it's, accurately. It's easier to do when the games are scripted and planned out like the WWE. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know what? I, I believe that. It's all WWE, and our Raiders are always on the back end of that always. script. Always. 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 There is a script, and it's for the Raiders to lose. I get it. <laughs> One day. It's the rewrite that script. It, look, when Al Davis got sideways with Paul Tagliabue. <laughs> no, it wasn't Paul Tagliabue. It was uh, I know Roselle. Pete, no, it goes all the way back to Pete Rose. It's been a long time. Yes. It's been a long time where you've gotten sideways with the NFL. It's and, very true. And uh, You and can't when, tell me otherwise. And when they have their league meetings and they meet with the officials and they say, hey, you call what you feel is right unless you're going against the Raiders. And every call goes against the Raiders. It's a shame. Hey, Lloyd, did the Davis family ever get back to you about the GoFundMe you put together to move Coach McDaniels out and get a new no. coach in? No, still waiting to hear back. How much have you made on the GoFundMe to help assist the nah, Davis not enough. family? Not enough that's going to do anything. Hmm. I'm going to put a dent. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody, There's got to be a charitable donation to get Josh McDaniel out of that head coaching seat. Hey, you see the most improvement from a coach from year one to year two. And I think this is going to be your year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why the Denver Broncos let Hackett have a year two. <laughs> That's not happening. Not happening. Oh, man. God bless the Walmart money. They were able to blow that dude out and get him out of there. Could you imagine not being able to make a strategic move and having to sit on a coach that you know is going to continue to throw the team in dismay? Who's the GM now at the Raiders? Lloyd, I know you blew out Mike Mayock, got rid of him. Oh, it's uh Ziegler. So imagine that Patriots. Dirt? So that that <laughs> <laughs> No. Dirk Ziegler? No. Huh. I think you're thinking of no, never mind. Um imagine he goes up to uh what's Al Davis's kid's name? Bob Mark. Joe. Mark. He goes, Hey Mark who's uh, who's, uh Got a new haircut, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it. Good. He needs it. Really? <laughs> he went away from the bowl. Yes. No more bowl cut? No more. Wow. So imagine he Shaved if, head, dude. So imagine if Dirk shows up at uh, at Mark Davis's office and says, hey, you know what? We really screwed up on this, on this hire. We got to get rid of Josh McDaniels. And Mark's like, all right, well, uh, we have no money to do that. Well, no, we got to get rid of him. It's bad. We got to move on. Well, I don't have any money to give him on the buyout. Do you? No. All right. Well, then he's our coach next year. Do you think he'd just leave if we asked him? <laughs> if we just changed the locks. <laughs> we would like to. Josh, we'd like to move on from you. All right. Well, my agent and your guys will get in. No, 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 no. We were thinking you would just quit. Did you, did you file that head coaching LLC so we could just claim bankruptcy on it? And... <laughs> <laughs> Take it as a loss asset? No. No, didn't do that either. Huh. I don't enjoy the joy that both of you are getting out of all this. How much longer hey, are they I paying I may be Chucky? happy, but, but Hans is having a hard time. No, Hans is not having a hard time. I am and I cannot wait till things get a little bumpy in Denver, because uh, it's going to happen. I am struggling with it. The ghost of Madden is just haunting <laughs> the house right now. How much longer are they having to pay Chucky? Oh, I don't know. I guess they're still paying. I don't what, have any idea. What, was he two years in on the 10-year deal that they, uh, they, they, they had enough years. money for that, Lloyd? He might have been four oh, or boy. five, maybe. They had enough money for that deal. 
10 million a year for 10 years. 100 million bucks. Here you go. A lot of casino money in there. Did you erase those emails? No, I for, I didn't. Oh, boy. Dang it, John. <laughs> did, they, did they fire him with cause? Or I, did, did they have to continue to pay him? I, well, no, they could I mean, have easily. They could have actually cut the, the money, but Mark's like, well, you're a good guy. so No, I don't. I think he's suing. I think they did try to fire him with cause. That's why he's suing the organization. Are you sure? I, I thought, he, uh, I thought they, they, they were just going to pay him. Pay well, him who, who's he suing then? He's suing somebody. I thought he was suing the NFL. Oh, uh, okay. I thought he was suing the NFL for... For essentially what they, yeah, for all of that, the emails, why his emails were the only ones released. Like I think he's going after the the NFL. I I don't think the Raiders are part of that. All right, but I could be wrong. All right, we'll wrap this thing up. Get you ready for Unrivaled next. Ninety-seven five, the KSL Sports Zone. This is this is DJ and PK. Joined right now by Shayan J. Raja, National College football writer for CBS Sports. We saw something last week that had BYU, the numbers showing last place. Please tell us it's not true. I would not bet on BYU to finish last. I think that this is a program that understands what they're getting themselves into. I think that despite some of the struggles of this past season, BYU's done a really good job of recruiting and identifying talent and developing. And I expect them to once again be a really competitive program. Now, I will say, there's not an obvious team that's going to finish at the bottom of the Big 12. That will be the one tough thing for these four teams that are joining the Big 12 is that there will be no easy outs any given week. But I would definitely not pick BYU as my first pick to finish at the bottom of the conference. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Miss any part of the show? Every moment of every show is available in podcast form by searching Hanson Scotty on your favorite podcasting platform or online at kslsports.com. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Standing here beside you, want so much to give you this love in my heart that I'm feeling All right, wrapping up another edition of the show. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Scott, if you've got any final text that you want to send me, this is the last hurrah for my Samsung. Are you really going to swap out the old Fisher-Price, my first phone? Why would we want to send one last text to you just to see what it's like to... Text somebody with a green box. Well, because from here on out, we're going to have to be a little more appropriate. How's this changing anything? Well, yeah, Big Brother might be watching now. Oh yeah, never mind. Sorry. Wait, I thought you were that you were told that you're good, that you don't need to worry about things like that. This is like your phone. Famous last words, right there. Yeah, we'll see. Oh no, you never look at what what you guys are texting about. Chucky was told. Send any email you want, man. Yeah, no. Emails are fine. You can't even track that stuff. <laughs> what the, how would they go through 600,000 emails, Chucky? <laughs> you sent one bad email. There's 600,000. How could they possibly find that one? I like how there's still 599,000 emails floating out there. Just the one released. Yep. Hey, Scotty, let me ask you, does this surprise you? I'm going to give you the list of the top 
rim protectors in the NBA through the season so far? Okay. Number 10, Brooke Lopez. Right. Number 9, Kristaps Porzingis. Number 8, Brandon Clark with the Memphis Grizzlies. Number 7, Walker Kessler. Okay. Number 6, Lowry Markinen. Number 5, Steven Adams. Number 4, Daniel Gafford with the Wizards. Number three, Draymond Green. Number two, Jaron Jackson. And number one, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You notice there's not a name there on the top ten. Yeah. Sorry, Rudy. Not in the top ten this year. No Rudy Gobert in the best rim protectors for the 2022-23 season. But two Jazz guys. Well, you take that for sure. And they're tied, by the way, at minus 12.1 apiece. But... They have been impressive, and it is crazy to see that list with no Rudy Gobert on it. My, how things have changed. Boy, the Jazz sure got the better end of that deal. Holy smokes. And it just makes me wonder, is that is that a Quinn Snyder usage and the way he developed and used Rudy Gobert and he's not getting the same in Minnesota? Or is that just him not paying as close attention? trying to figure out his fit. I don't know, but it seems strange to me. I think there's a safe D all of the above on that one. I think that the system was very Rudy friendly. I think that uh, the atmosphere here with the team was, was, was helpful in that. And he's also trying to find his way and he's dealt with some injuries too. So you compound all that together and it might be a rough year for Rudy. Mm. I just retweeted it. If you want to go back and look at the list, at 975Hans on Twitter. That wraps it up for us. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard coming up next. We'll hand the reins on over to Unrivaled straight ahead. This is 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.